Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we take the second half of the show to take your live comments and questions. However, we usually don't have enough time to get around to answering all of the live comments and questions that get sent in. But if you sent in those comments and questions and tipped to the show and supported the show, I want to make sure you don't have to wait too awful long to get those questions answered. So we gather up the unused questions and we address them here on companion videos. And I'm so glad you guys are here. Just so uh, for those of you watching after the fact, I'm actually doing this live. Uh, I still do pre-recorded companion videos, but lately I've just sat down and thought, you know, I was about to record a companion video. Why not just make it live? And that way people can jump in and talk in the live chat if they want to talk in the live chat. We started officially one minute ago and we've already got over a hundred people in here. How you doing guys? Good to have you here. Let's talk some movie and entertainment and fun stuff. Anything to get my mind off the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, and their massive, massive collapse and choke. <laughs> Again, for yet another time in my lifetime, I feel like, Vader, you failed me for the last time, Leafs. Anyway, it is what it is. Let's spend the show now getting over and talking about the things that you guys sent in and wanted to talk about. And we're going to get things started off here with Tim Platt, who writes... The Cubs had the curse of the Billy Goat. The Red Sox had the curse of the Bambino. Who on earth did the Maple Leafs piss off? As a Caps fan, I feel for you. Yeah, again, so... This whole thing about the Leafs, a little, a quick recap so I don't have to say it all again in this video. The Maple Leafs, my all-time favorite sports franchise, I bleed blue and white. I don't talk about it a lot on the show because not a lot of people watch hockey. But they have never been to the Stanley Cup Finals in my entire lifetime. Not just never uh, won the Stanley Cup, they've never been to the Stanley Cup in my entire lifetime. They haven't won a playoff series in 17 years. Not a single round of playoff have they won in 17 years. And by the way, John DeMoto sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thanks, John. I appreciate that, man. Um, and so every year, every year, every year, I, I put my heart out there. They crush it. And then this year finally looked like the year. Maybe not winning the Stanley Cup, but they had a legitimate shot of getting to the Stanley Cup. They're up three games to one against the Montreal Canadiens, their most hated rivals up three games to one, then they lose game five, then they lose game six, and then yesterday they lose game seven. <laughs> they choked. And yet again, now we're on to 18 years without a playoff win. You guys have no idea. You have no idea of the suffering. The pain is real. Anyway, uh, there's all that. Damn Maple Leafs. All right, next up, uh, Guillaume Labelle writes, Hey, John. As a big Habs fan, I sincerely want to share my deepest condolences to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Don't want to rub salt on the wound, but maybe next year will be the one. Uh, hope at least the Lakers get to uh, get to rule this year. I don't know, with, with uh, Davis injured, I, I really don't know how far the Lakers are going to go. They're not nearly my favorite sports team anyway. Yeah, listen, I've been saying next year for 40 years. Next year. For 40 years, I've been saying next year. 40 years of that. So while I appreciate you trying to give me condolences, uh, Guillaume, I really do appreciate the condolences, but yeah, maybe next year is not something I want to hear anymore. <laughs> not as a Leafs fan, not when my entire life I've never seen them win. All right, next up, uh, Armia and uh, Katan Nimi writes, 500 healthcare workers were in Toronto watching Game 7. Yeah, that was pretty cool. They, like, in Canada, there's still a lot of a lockdown, but they allowed immunized 
uh, healthcare workers to be at the game. And I thought that was a really nice move. That was a really nice move. Anyway, 500 healthcare workers were in Toronto watching game seven and nope. And nobody could stop the choking. It's uh, it's true. Even with 500 healthcare, little, little Heimlich there. Mm. <laughs> yeah, nope. Nobody to stop the choking. Uh, they they just kept choking. Uh, anyway, there uh, there's that. How many of you guys? I just out of curiosity, just just wondering. Just tell me right now. How many of you guys just wrote in just to rub it in that my Leafs yet again suck again, forever and always, my entire life. I have a feeling I'm going to hear a lot of that today. Okay, let's keep going on. Uh, let's see. Next up, oop, wrong one. Next up, we've got, uh, that was Armia. Now we've got, uh, Carey Price, uh, the Montreal Canadian goaltender. Damn good goaltender. Damn it, John. I was hoping for the Leafs to tie the game and then lose in overtime just to turn you into World War Hulk. Yeah, then, I, of course, they could have won game six. Game six went to overtime. They had a stupid giveaway and they lost. Anyway, thank you, Carey Price. All right, let there be carnage rights. One of two. Well, you could uh, definitely argue that Sony has made the better Spider-Man films. Both MCU Spider-Man films claim the number one and number three spot grossing Spider-Man films, uh, with Spider-Man 3 being at number two uh, and Venom at number four. Spider-Man Far From Home made $1.1 billion at the box office. And yes, you could argue that the MCU Spidey films ride on the success of the MCU, you think. Uh, I personally think it's a bad move to throw away the success of this deal. It does nothing to uh, but benefit both. I hope they continue the deal, but understand if they don't. Okay, so thanks a lot for saying that in Let There Be Carnage. So where this is all coming from, and what Let There Be Carnage is referring to, is that, you know, the other day, the president of, of the Sony Picture Group made some comments that kind of sounded, depending on how you interpreted it, kind of sounded like maybe... Uh, they're just going to be taking Spider-Man back here soon and really building a Spider-Verse over there at Sony with, uh, you know, Spider-Man no longer being in the MCU. Now, the way we said it on the show was there are two different ways to interpret what he was saying. And I really do believe only two different ways to interpret it. There, it could be a third option, but we'll have to wait and see if there's a third option. I, I personally think it's going to be one of two things. Number one, they extend out the deal that they currently have. Because remember, their old deal ran out before and they extended it again. And now Spider-Man No Way Home is the final film in that deal. Uh, Tom Tom Holland will have to appear in another film that is not a Spider-Man film. But as far as Spider-Man movies go, Spider-Man No Way Home is the final one of the Marvel and Sony deal. So either option number one, they're going to extend this deal out. And they'll continue doing it where Marvel makes the Spider-Man movies, Sony remains in charge of Spider-Man and gets to distribute the Spider-Man movies. That's the current arrangement, and it has worked really well for them so far. I have very much enjoyed the collaboration between Sony and Marvel when it comes to the Spider-Man films. I really, really enjoyed Spider-Man Homecoming. I quite liked uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. Not quite as much as I liked Homecoming, but I still thought it was really solid and really good and it was very entertaining. And I'm very much looking forward to Spider-Man No Way Home. So one option is that they're going to continue on the deal. The other option, which I personally think is what's going to happen... 
uh, I don't know, I'm just speculating, but I personally would lean towards happening is that Sony is going to take Spider-Man back. The, the comments from the Sony Pictures president saying we've got plans, won't it be great to see Venom and Spider-Man meet, just, just a lot of different things. And the fact that he did reiterate that Far or No Way Home is the final one in the deal. So I, I personally right now think it's more likely that Spider-Man is just being shipped back to Sony, period. Maybe yes, maybe no, and I may change my, as more information comes out, I may change my mind about that. But just for now, I'm kind of feeling that that's the way they're going. So what is um, what is the pros and the cons of Spider-Man going back to Sony? What are the pros and the cons? Well, let's jump over into a uh, can't be a classroom session here for a second. So let's look at the cons, okay, first. Cons. All right, number one. Uh, Spidey not interacting with MCU characters uh, anymore. Okay, so first con of Spider-Man going back to Sony is that, you know, you're not going to see Spider-Man interacting with war machine or interacting with dr strange or i mean we're going to see him interact with dr strange in the next couple of movies but then after that done if he just goes back to sony no more interacting with uh with these characters so that's unfortunate and that would be unfortunate and that would be a big negative for some people another negative kind of connected to that one um is spidey not existing in that wide deep world the mcu has built a very expansive world already in just like 12 13 years they've already built this huge expansive world and it's not just about spider-man interacting with those mcu characters just also spider-man inhabiting that world you know just not him him just not being in that world that really rich world where you know, the way they've kind of set up these Spider-Man movies is, you know, people look at him and they look at Spider-Man through the perspective of people who live in a world where Thor and Captain America and Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk and all these characters have lived and existed and fought and battled. And it's within that perspective that Spider-Man exists in this world. And there's something very rich about that. So if you're looking at the cons... Uh, con number one, Spidey is not interacting with the MCU characters anymore. Con number two, Spidey's not existing in that rich mythology world that has already been laid for about 13 years by the MCU. That's another one. A third con is a uh, box office hit. And by hit, I don't mean, yay, it's a big hit. I mean, taking a hit, like taking a punch. They're going to take a bit of a box office hit because Spider-Man is still one of the most popular characters in the world. But having one of the most popular characters in the world in the most popular cinematic universe in the world, that just kind of exponentially grows your return. And you have seen that it has benefited from that marriage, if you will. Financially, from a box office point of view, they have benefited from that marriage. So there's that. And so the cons are Spidey's not interacting with the MCU characters anymore. Spidey's not existing in that world anymore. And the box office will probably take a bit of a hit. How big of a hit is, does it really matter? Cause right now, you know, Marvel and Sony are kind of splitting the money. Sony with, as the distributors, Marvel as the production company. 
So I don't know if taking a little bit of a box office hit is going to that. Listen, uh, uh, Blackie Chan in the live chat uh, just said something that that is absolutely true. Spider-Man is going to make money either way. I mean, even the god-awful awful Spider-Man 3 made tons of money. Spider-Man's going to make money. But it may not make quite as much money as existing within the world of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So there's that. All right. What about some pros of Spider-Man coming over into Sony instead and being a part of the Sony-verse instead of the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe? This is a big one nobody's talking about, but I'm going to throw this out here first just so we can discuss it, okay? Uh, more room to breathe. More room to breathe. John, what do you mean by that? I mean this. The... Um, the MCU is already very crowded. The MCU is already very crowded. I mean, just in the next little bit, we've got a Hawkeye series coming. We've got Loki starting up in, in, a, in a few days. Loki is starting in just a few days, which is great. I'm very excited about that. Um, so we got Loki is coming. We've got Ms. Marvel is coming. We've got She-Hulk is coming. We've got Moon Knight is coming. We've got a, a armor, what's it called? Armor Wars, the one the War Machine is going to feature in. We've got that coming. We've got all the existing stuff. Black Widow's coming out. The Eternals is coming out. Shang-Chi is coming out. We've got new Thor. We've got all the existing characters. We've got Guardians of the Galaxy still running around out there. We've got Thor movies coming. We've got other things coming. We've got so many characters Wanda and Vision and all the, you know, we got a new Captain America and Winter Soldier. We've got so many characters right now in the MCU. It's stupid. But now on top of all that, on top of the MCU's already being very crowded, guess what? X-Men and Fantastic Four are coming. We already have an overcrowded MCU. Now, we've got the X-Men coming probably in about 18 months. Probably in about another year and a half, we're going to start getting announcements about X-Men projects, right? And forget the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of characters that come along with the X-Men property. There is a serious, viable 30 to 50 characters. I know there's hundreds and hundreds of characters, but from a viability point of view, there's legitimately 30 to 50 different characters you could make standalone movies or standalone Disney Plus shows with. 30 to 50 of them. That's not even counting the three or 400 characters that are actually part of it. The MCU, which is already kind of crowded, is now bringing a brand new influx of 30 to 50 viable comic book characters that you can make movies and TV shows about. Not to mention the Fantastic Four and whatever additional things they have coming. So the question becomes this. Why am I listing this under the pros? The reason I'm listing the idea of Spider-Man going over to Sony as a pro is because of this. Spider-Man will have more room to breathe. Because we will be getting to a point, if he just stays at Marvel, that we will be lucky if we get one Spider-Man thing every four years. Now, I'm not somebody that I need three Spider-Man movies a year. I'm not saying that, but I do like Spider-Man. And if I like Spider-Man, I'd like to at least see it every couple of years. Is that really too much to ask every couple of years? But 
with the dance, Marvel's dance card is getting incredibly full. Also, here's the thing as well. Um, Sony doesn't need Marvel and Marvel doesn't need Sony right now. Listen, when they made this deal initially, the MCU wanted a big kick. They had really gotten into their groove, but they wanted a bit to make a big splash and have a big kick. And that splash and that kick got made when they made the Spider-Man deal to have Spider-Man come in there. It was very beneficial to Marvel at the time. For Sony, Sony at the time that this deal was made was in some financial straits. It's a very different situation now, but at the time, they were struggling. The Amazing Spider-Man 2 was just, you know, it, it fell on its face. There wasn't a lot of trust surrounding Spider-Man at that time. The whole company with the with the email hacks and all that kind of stuff, the whole company, there were some questions about whether the movie division at the time would even be for sale because the current CEO at the time of Sony wasn't a big fan of their movie division. The current CEO today loves their movie division, but at the time there was a lot of big question marks. But it was a good move for Marvel to make that deal at the time. And it was a good move for Sony to make that deal at the time. And they both benefited amazingly. But the reality is today, we live in a different time than seven or eight years ago, whenever that, that deal was made. We live in a totally different reality now. Marvel has already shot up to that next level. The, the reality is this, Marvel, the MCU doesn't need Spider-Man. It seems weird to say it, but the MCU doesn't need Spider-Man. They have so many characters and so many uh, properties and so many new characters coming in on top of the existing ones they have. And they are firing on all cylinders now. They're approaching averaging a billion dollars of film at the box office. They simply, you can't make a case anymore that Marvel needs Spider-Man. Seven years ago, you could make that argument that they could really use that infusion of energy and excitement that Spider-Man coming into the MCU would bring. But does that exist anymore? I'm not sure that it does. So Marvel doesn't really need the deal. And Sony, I mean, they've completely basically picked everything back up. The wild success, like some people, you can try to spin it however you want. You can try to spin it however negative way you want. Venom was an unmitigated smash hit for Sony. Audiences loved it. The majority of the audiences loved it. Maybe not quite as much as me. I was totally delighted by that. Venom is awesome. Venom is awesome. I love that movie. Anyway, uh, but even I never thought it was going to make $800 million, but it blew past the $800 million mark. Nobody said it could happen. Everybody said, nobody's going to go see a Venom movie without Spider-Man said everybody to me. I, I look, and even I didn't think it would make $800 million. Let's be fair. I didn't think so either. I thought it would be a hit. I didn't think it would be that big of a hit. And it blew past $800 million. Delighted audiences. World of Mouth got out. People came back in droves. They had Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, winning them Academy Awards. Uh, I think the second best Spider-Man movie ever made. Sony is in a completely different situation today than they were seven or eight years ago when that deal got forged. So, yeah, it feels weird to say it, but a part of the pros of potentially Spider-Man going back to Sony is that Marvel doesn't need Spider-Man and Sony doesn't need Marvel anymore. The other pro, you guys have heard me say this one a lot, but, but I'll say it again. 
Uh, the reality is, in my opinion, in my subjective opinion, the reality is Sony has made the best Spider-Man uh, movies. Um, Spider-Man 1, Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. You, you can make an argument that maybe Spider-Man Homecoming is better than Spider-Man 1. But to me, there's no question. Spider-Man 2, directed by Sam Raimi, and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse are better than any Spider-Man movie Marvel has produced so far. And that's not a knock on the Marvel-produced Spider-Man movies. I love uh, Homecoming, and I really like Far From Home. But the reality is Sony has made better Spider-Man movies than Marvel has. The opposite side of that coin is you can also very confidently say that Sony has also made the worst Spider-Man movies. And that is true also. They made Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3. They made The Amazing Spider-Man 2. So yes, they have made the best Spider-Man movies. They have also made the worst. They have. I like to believe they have learned from those mistakes. And, uh, and I think stuff like Venom and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse have shown that they learned from the mistakes they made with those. But, you know, it is what it is. There's that. So, look, the cons, again, let's just reflect, let's just go back and, and, and cover this again. The cons I see of Spider-Man leaving the MCU is you're not going to have Spider-Man interacting in these dream scenarios with all these rich, diverse Marvel characters. That's a con. You're not going to have Spider-Man living in this MCU universe that has been so carefully crafted for over a decade, and he really thrives in well. Him not being there, that is a con. Not being a part of the MCU means the box office will take a little bit of a hit. How big of a hit? I don't think terribly much, but it will take a hit. It won't make quite as much money as if it were in the MCU. But, I mean, for Sony... But then it's all just them. They don't have to split that with Marvel and, and whatever and what have you. The pros, however, I see of him going back. There are There's a lot more room for Spider-Man to breathe in the coming years with all, the huge influx of characters already in the MCU, plus all the X-Men characters and Fantastic Four characters and everybody else coming. Sony just simply doesn't need Marvel anymore, and Marvel, quite frankly, doesn't need Spider-Man anymore, so there's that. And Sony has made the best Spider-Man movies to date, even though it is also true they have made the worst. Can't ignore that either. So, listen. Right now, as, as a fan, I feel like I am in a win-win situation as a fan. If Marvel and Sony extend the deal, I think there's a lot of good things that have come out of this deal, and I think a lot of good things could continue to come out of these two companies continuing to work together. So I think we win. If Marvel and Sony extends the deal, I think we win. But if Sony takes back Spider-Man, I still think we win. We'll get more Spider-Man content. Uh, they have been killing it with their Spider-Verse stuff lately. And, you know, we'll wait and see how, you know, um, Craven turns out. We'll wait to see how Morbius turns out. But I think those both sound great. Um, so, I mean, I, I think either way we win. I don't think there's a bad scenario here. And that's good for us. And which way are they going to go? I'm not 100% sure. I kind of feel like Sony's going to take them back, but I don't know that. I could change my mind as more information comes out. But anyway, the question for you guys is simply this. And I know I, there are a lot of Marvel fans that feel just, you know, Marvel everything all day, 24-7, MCU or nothing. I get it. There are some people that are like that. And maybe you're one of those, and that's cool. But let me ask you guys, seriously, when you sit back and look at the entire landscape of this situation, 
what do you, and break it down to two things. What do you guys think is going to happen with the Spider-Man, Sony, and Marvel situation? And secondly is a totally different question. What do you want to have happen in that? So yes, there's the one thing about what we think will happen, but what do you want to have happen? I'd love for you guys to jump in the comments section and let me guys what you know about that down there. Okay. Uh, that's that for the campy classroom. Let's jump back over and start getting to more questions. That came for us to us from uh, Let There Be Carnage. Thanks for a lot for that, man. All right, next up. A uh, man from Manila writes, I just watched Cruella. I was very entertained. I liked Cruella. Again, it's not a top 10 movie of the year candidate, but I thought it was really good. I enjoyed it. Uh, I was very entertained. One thing I liked in this movie is what they did with the sidekicks. Uh, they are not the stereotype. Not No silly physical comedy. Well, that's not true. There was some silly physical comedy. It worked, but there was some physical, like silly physical comedy in this movie, especially with Hauser. Anyway, uh, no sil uh, silly physical comedy, and I don't recall them doing super dumb dialogues. Uh, they have done their tasks well. Yeah, like the one thing you say about the, these two side characters that work with Cruella in the movie, and I'm not going to spoil anything here, but is that they don't come across as your stereotypical dumb sidekick henchmen they actually have legitimate roles to play in the movie and there is some silly physical comedy with the sidekicks yes but overall they did a much better job than most movies do so i so generally speaking i i will agree with you on that man from manila generally speaking i will agree with you on that all right next up uh brendan m writes in, and he tips in like $20. Thank you, Brendan, for, for supporting the channel on that level, man. Hey, John and Rob. Rob's obviously not here right now. Hope you're doing well. I went to see Cruella. They went uh, with an anti-hero theme, I feel. Yeah, they pretty much did. Not puppy killer evil. Even kept the dogs. Maybe they do a sequel to connect her origin story or maybe change her into an anti-hero like Venom. Well, they already did the anti-hero thing. I mean, Cruella is already set up, and you could tell from the trailers, she's an anti-hero already in Cruella. They don't have to turn her into that. She already is that in this movie. The problem with Cruella, though, is that there is no escaping what we know Cruella turns into. A puppy-killing, puppy-skinning monster of a evil, evil, evil person. Uh, and that's what, so that's one of the odd things about Cruella because you're watching this Cruella origin story as somebody who grew up watching 101 Dalmatians and I know what this character turns into. And so even though I found the movie very entertaining, it was a little difficult sometimes to find yourself rooting for the protagonist of the story when you know she turns eventually into this demonic, evil, evil, as rotten as they get kind of characters. I don't know that they're going to do another Cruella, and we talked about this on the John Campus show this morning. And one of the main reasons I don't know is simply because of results. This, look, they rolled the dice on Cruella, but there is no way this movie is making its money back. They've had a poor showing on Disney Plus, uh, people paying that $30 premiere. Not a ton of people did it. And while it made more than they were estimating, they made like uh, $21 million in its first three-day weekend, almost 30 in the full uh, Labor Day weekend. So it made some money, but nowhere near. I mean, this is a movie that basically needs to make, I'm going to roughly ballpark here, 
This is a movie that probably makes needs to make something in the two four hundred, I should say, four hundred and twenty-five million dollars to break even. And it ain't gonna do it. Cruella is not gonna do it. It deserves to do it, but it ain't gonna do it. So yeah, uh I, I don't think they're going to do another one. I mean, they may announce it, they may say they have plans for it, but when push comes to shove, I don't know that the bean counters are gonna let them do another one. Unless it goes on to win some Oscars, which I don't think it will, but uh, you never know. All right, let's move on here. Uh, next up, we have, where are we at? That was Brennan. We now have an anonymous viewer who writes, Thor in Infinity War. Well, if I'm wrong, then what more could I lose? Rocket, Um, being <laughs> being a Leafs fan, I suppose. Yep. If I was in that shuttle with Thor and Rocket and Thor said that line, what else do I have to lose? I said, it could be worse, Thor. You could be a Leafs fan. That would really suck. Yeah, uh, yeah, my Leafs, my Leafs. All right, and not as you were also writes. I'm surprised the Maple Leafs have a website. They usually have trouble stringing three W's together. That's actually pretty funny. That that's actually pretty good. I'll I'll give you the drum hit on that. Uh, three WW get it? They have trouble stringing three W's. Ah, uh, there you go, there you go. Well said, well said. All right, anonymous writes. Happy Tuesday, John and Rob. Rob's not here right now. Uh, watch you every day. Thank you for that. I was wondering if you were able to wish my son Roman a happy birthday today. We love your show very much. He says to you, "I like your cut, G. Uh, love you guys. Keep bringing the filthy." Well, that's really nice of you to write that in, man, for your son. So. A very happy birthday to Roman. Roman, may you have a wonderful birthday today and a wonderful, glorious year of prosperity of a birthday year ahead of you, leading you on to glorious things. I hope you have a great day and uh, say thanks to your dad for sending that in. So thanks for sending that in, man. And Roman, again, happy birthday, my friend. All right, next up, uh, Rose Twins 2 by 2 writes, Cool fact, the director of the new Highlander film with Henry Cavill, Stileski, also of John Wick's stunt double for Neo and also Brandon Lee's Crow. Uh, talk about a progressive career. Uh, Highland should be, Highlander uh, should be badass. Uh, there can be only one. Well, listen, nothing is guaranteeing this is going to be good. All right. This new Highlander movie with Henry Cavill could end up completely sucking. That's just the reality. But the potential is so big. First of all, you're, the, the story of the Highlander, the original Highlander is in my top 10 favorite films of all time. Then you get like a dude who just knows his action stuff, like Chad, coming in to direct it. And then you make the announcement of announcements. My Superman, your Superman, Henry Cavill, is going to be playing, I assume, Connor McLeod of the Clan McLeod, the Highlander. And good news and joy abounds for all the people. Yeah, listen, again, the movie might suck, but I can't I can't think of uh, better better news that I've heard in the world of movies in a long time than that. I was very, very happy to hear that. All right, thanks for that, Rose. All right, next up, we got Mass, uh, uh, Matt S. who writes, Hey, John, who are some of your favorite comic book villains? Well, I mean, listen, I, I could say the same laundry list that everybody else says. I will just say this. My all-time, and some of you know what I'm going to say. I'll give you a second. Do you guys know who I'm going to say? I'm going to say one, one name. You guys who are watching live, you can put it in the live chat to see if you know who it is I'm going to say as far as who is my all-time favorite comic book villain. Uh, my all-time favorite comic book villain and uh, Maxie and Jimmy22 and Super Mario and James and John, they're all getting it. So is Ethan's touch. 
It's Magneto. And I'll tell you what, Magneto is not only my favorite comic book villain. To me, I actually think Magneto is the greatest comic book character ever created. I really do. I'm not saying he's my favorite character in the movies, but the comic book character of Magneto is not only my favorite villain, he is my favorite character period. He is such a well, I mean, there have been bad writings of Magneto, obviously, but I mean, overall, just who he is, the complexity of his motivations and his background and what drives him and all that kind of stuff, not to mention his sheer power. But for all those reasons and many, many more, um, yeah, Magneto is, is like my all-time favorite character. Uh, now, some other really good villains. Uh, for me, a lot of my favorite comic book villains are X-Men villains. So like, uh, there's Apocalypse, because one of my favorite uh, storylines in any comic book in history is um, the Age of Apocalypse storyline that started with the whole Legion thing, and then that leads us into the Age of Apocalypse thing. I think it's one of the greatest comic book stories ever written, Age of Apocalypse. I love it. So Apocalypse is one of them. Also, Mr. Sinister uh, is one of my favorite as well. So yeah, whenever I think a lot of my, my favorite ones... I generally go to X-Men villains. I don't know why, but I just generally do. Anyway, thanks for uh, thanks for asking, Matt. All right, next up. Um, let's see. An anonymous viewer writes, When you discussed COVID-related production ingenuity, for example, Parks and Recreation, I thought of the partially animated Blacklist. Love the final first... Oh, love final finale last year uh what did you think how would you rate it for creativity considering shows cw that ended abruptly and restarted poorly okay so for those of you who don't know what anonymous is talking about so blacklist which is a show that i watch regularly i really do like blacklist blacklist like many other productions ran into a problem they were right in the middle of filming their season finale when the COVID shutdown hit and they weren't able to go to work and do what they needed to do. So for those of you who don't know, Black the producers of Blacklist came up with a really cool idea. So what they did was they took all the footage they had for the finale and you know, they don't shoot it in, or they don't shoot it in chronological order. Like, some maybe on day one you shoot the final scene on day two you shoot scene 31 on day three you shoot scene number one on day four you shoot scene 16 like it's it, it shot out of order so they took all the footage they had and then what they did is they filled in the blanks with this um like so you'd see the live action show and then when they didn't have footage for the next part of the show they gave this animated sort of thing this like, uh, uh, what's the best, I, I can't remember the actual phrase for it, like a motion comic. They did, they filled in the blanks with motion comics. So instead of seeing James Spader as, uh, you know, Reddington, you would see like a comic book drawing of him that kind of moved as the dialogue was being read. So they still had the actors read the dialogue and all this stuff. It was very, very creative. It was very, very creative. And I liked it a lot. I, I actually thought it was great. So um, it was, yeah, as far as ingenuity, creativity, and the decision, instead of not having our season finale, let's do something like this. I thought top marks. 
absolute top marks. I thought they did a great job with that. I thought it was very creative. And uh, hopefully, they'll never have to do it again. Hopefully, they'll never have to do it again. All right, next up. An anonymous viewer writes, uh, I see so many fan-made Spider-Man 3 trailers slash posters with Toby and Andrew. People seem seem to be expecting them to show up. If they don't, are not if or if they don't and are not in the movie, how disappointed people will be. Another WandaVision situation? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean every everybody's convinced themselves that Andrew Garfield and Toby Maguire are gonna be in the new Spider-Man movie. And listen, for the record, I believe they will be. But we don't know that they will be. And I think that that's an important distinction to make. And KBR is writing in, this is not live. Yes, KBR, this is actually live. Uh, just so you know. But at any rate, um, when you have this situation, right, it's important to make a distinction between what I think will happen and what I have convinced myself is going to happen. I am convinced this is what happened is going to happen. Oh yes, ladies and gentlemen, Evan Peters in one division. He's the Quicksilver from the X-Men movies. No, he's not, but but so many people convince themselves that that's the case. And then what happens is we, as fans, we get totally invested in that so much so that we become, you know, we, there's no flexibility and we paint ourselves into the corner that now we have so convinced ourselves that this is exactly what's going to happen that if it does not, we blame the show. And we say it's bad that the show didn't do it. How could they not make Evan Peters Quicksilver? Because they were never going to make Evan Peters Quicksilver. But people convinced themselves so hard that that's what they were doing that when it turns out they didn't, it interfered with their enjoyment of the show. And all of us as fans do this all the time. We do this. We get totally, totally... Uh, wrapped up, we get totally invested 100% into these theories without ever noticing there's no, like, listen, unless you hear the studio say something, don't believe it 100%. Well, I read on Gus's movie reviews dot fart freaking magic online dot com slash net that this was going to happen. And then just people just believe it. And one time out of a hundred, something, there is something to it. Most of the time there's not. But the thing is, it's important to make a distinction between what I think might happen versus getting completely inflexibly devoted to this idea of something that's going to happen. So yeah, I think Andrew and uh, Toby are going to show up in Spider-Man No Way Home. But I don't know that. So it's not going to hurt my enjoyment of the movie if they're not there. If they are there, cool. If they're not there, that means the movie's better off without them. So, yeah, again, I think we as fans, and I have to continually tell myself this as well, because I'm as guilty as this as anybody. And so are you, if you're honest. Just got to keep reminding ourselves. It's cool to think something will happen, but don't get too invested in it. Anyway, so there's that. All right, next up. Uh, I only got time for a couple more here, guys, because <laughs> there's a Laker game, and I, I want to go watch the Laker game with my wife. Anyway, uh, Tron writes in, 
Do you think one reason Warner Brothers won't reverse their decision on HBO Max releases is from the potential embarrassment and anger from some fans about not having these films on HBO Max? No, that has nothing to do with it. Uh, Dune and Suicide Squad should be going to theaters after the success of A Quiet Place 2. No, that's not why. Listen, if Warner Brothers was afraid of the anger from fans for not having the movies on HBO Max, then they never would have already announced that starting in 2022, they're going right back to theatrical exclusive releases. So that has nothing to do with it. What does have something to do with it is the embarrassment of having to backtrack. Look, they know that it was a mistake. All right. Jason Klar, who is the current CEO of Warner Media, he won't be for much longer. But Jason Klar, the CEO of Warner Media, who ultimately is the one who made this decision, he even came out and said, remember we talked about on the John Campus show about a week and a half ago, he basically even said, yeah, we might have made a mistake. We at least managed it wrong. I think if we had to go back and do it again, we would have talked to more people. We would have consulted with more people, all that kind of stuff. Listen, read between the lines. He knows they made a mistake. When you have... Denis Villeneuve turning on you publicly, when you have Christopher Nolan turning on you publicly, when you have James Gunn turning on you publicly, when you have all the your partners, the financing companies that put up the money to make some of these movies publicly turning on you, when the entire industry is turning on you and say that you betrayed them, you betrayed their trust, you snuck around behind their backs like a thief in the night and try to pull a stunt like this, you broke several contracts, all that kind of stuff, they know they made a mistake. They know, but they're not going to admit they made a mistake. They're not going to come out and just say, hey, you know what? We thought this idea might work. It's not working the way we thought it would. Actually, an article came out in Variety suggesting that one of the reasons that uh, that AT&T was so bullish about just getting rid of Warner Media was because that already that decision to do that HBO Max thing has already cost them over a billion dollars in losses. They know they made a mistake, but they're never going to admit it. They're not going to publicly say that was a dumb, wrong move for us to do. And so what they're going to do is they're going to ride it out for the rest of the year. We'll see what happens to Dune. I still think Dune is going to end up getting a theatrical uh, exclusive release. I don't know that just to be clear. I'm not saying that that's definitive. I'm just saying I suspect it will, but who knows? We'll find out, but they're just going to ride out the rest of this year. And then 2022 will hit. They'll have new owners with discovery. They'll have new bosses. Everything will get back to the way they want it to. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of the way that's, I, I, I that's kind of the way I envision it's going to kind of play itself out. All right. Next up. Stubble McShave writes, so the Leafs haven't won the cup since 1967. Hmm. Rob was born in 1967. I'm not saying there's a connection. Wink, wink. Uh, when looking up info on the Leafs, I saw my countryman, uh, Salming. That's Boreas Salming, the great number 21, the defenseman for the Toronto Maple Leafs, Boreas Salming, uh, one of the greats and Sundin, that's Matt Sundin. Uh, had a few of the team's records. They absolutely do. I had the privilege of meeting Salming once. Ah, yes, Boreas Salming. Man, when I was when I was just getting into watching the Maple Leafs as a little kid, it was Boreas Salming. He was he was basically the team. Like he was like that anchor on defense. And I remember his defensive partner, at least for a couple of years, was this other defenseman that I really used to like called Ian Turnbull. 
was the guy's name. And by the way, Daniel Luna sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Daniel. Appreciate that, man. Um, yeah, so Borea Salming, sometimes lovingly referred to as Borea Bonehead, but Borea Salming, the great number 21. Matt Sundin, one of the greatest Leafs of all time. I mean, my favorite Maple Leafs of all time, you're talking even before my time, you know, Daryl Sittler, Lanny McDonald. Uh, then you get a little bit further ahead. You're talking about, uh, I used to love Wilf Paymont. Rick Vive was the first uh, Toronto Maple Leaf to score 50 goals. So Rick Vive. Uh, and then, of course, you get into the Wendell Clark era and things like that. But yeah, Boreas Salming, man, that takes me back a ways. The great Boreas Salming. All right, thanks for sharing that, man. Uh, next up, we've got Ben Rayner who writes, Hey, John and Rob. Obviously, Rob's not here right now. I hope this Arclight and AMC deal happens. A one improvement I hope Arclight takes from AMC. I hope they convert seats from their stand from standard to recliners. I love the Arclight and AMC. This would be awesome if AMC updated already awesome theaters. Well, here's the thing, though. The thing about Arclight and their seats. So let me just bring this up. Uh, Arclight Theater. Let me see if I can find a picture of these seats. Because one of the really great things about the Arclight is actually their seats. Their seats are, are really, really wonderful. I'm going to see if I can just find a, a good, clear picture of them. Um, that one's too big. See if I can get this one on here. Yeah, let me try this one. So the Arclight seats, they've got a little bit of rock to them, but just the mold of the seats are incredibly comfortable. Now, also, you got to remember, not all AMC theaters, not every single theater has the, the reclining seats. Like in, uh, in, I mean, some theaters do, but like the AMC Burbank 16, I think two of the theaters in the AMC Burbank 16 have the leather reclining seats. The rest have regular theater seating. So what I'll say about this is while I love AMC's leather reclining seats, they're my favorite seats in the movies. But other than those leather reclining seats, the seats at the Arclight are very comfortable, comfortable, spacious. Um, they're not, they may not be leather recliners, but they're really good seats. And so I'm, I'd be very fine if they kept, if, you know, if AMC does buy the Arclight cinemas and they end up taking that all over, I will personally be totally fine if they just keep the existing seats that they have. Okay. Uh, with that down, Let's move on to our next one. Who is the next? I think it's fantastic. Yes. Fantastic Beefs writes, one of my beefs with the Transformers movies is that they didn't know their target audience. Mm, I disagree with that. Anyway, uh, they weren't necessarily appropriate for young kids, but they were trying to sell toys. Well, that's not unusual. There's a lot of stuff that's not necessarily completely appropriate for really young kids, but they still sell a very vibrant lineup of toys. So I, I, I guess, so again, I disagree with you a little bit on that. Anyway, Bumblebee was great, but didn't sell tickets. Where should the franchise go? Well, I mean, look here, here's the problem with the, the Transformers franchise. Fantastic beefs is not that they didn't know their target audience because their target audience wasn't young kids. They wanted to make the Transformers movies in such a way that young kids could be a part of it and could watch it. But they were clearly aiming, their main demographic was a little bit older than that. The problem with the Transformers movies is not that they didn't know their target demographic. They did. The problem with the Transformers movies is that they sucked. That's the problem with the Transformers movies. 
other than the first one, the first Transformers movie that Michael Bay did, I will always defend that movie. I think that that movie was done really well, and I really enjoyed it. But Transformers 2, 3, 4, 5, suck, 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 ball suck, and then straight up eating somebody's salad. I mean, it they were awful. That's the problem with the movies. It wasn't, you know, they didn't quite know their target demographic. Oh, no, they knew their target demographic. They did. They just made terrible movies. Now, with Bumblebee, with Bumblebee, the problem was they had already run the franchise into the ground. Like, they were making billion dollars and billion dollars and billion dollars, and then they did that one the last night, Transformers the last night. And while it still made a bunch of money, hold on a second, let me bring this up. Uh, Transformers last night box... Uh, office. Let me see if I can find this number here. Yeah. While it still made a bunch of money, it went from 1.1 billion, 1.3 billion to 600 million. It's like the audience was like, okay, you fooled me again with a great marketing campaign and say, say what you will about the Transformers movies. Their marketing campaigns are always top notch. The trailers for the Transformers movies, say what you want about the movies, the trailers for the Transformers movies are always great. And the audience was like, okay, you fooled us again. And then comes Transformers 3. All right, you fooled us again. And then comes Transformers 4. Okay, you fooled us again. But at some point, and you could see it, the audience was like, we're not going to be fooled anymore. These movies are terrible. And then all of a sudden, Transformers, last, The Last Night comes out, and its box office drops in half down to 600 million, and people were giggling and snarking because nobody believed in the Transformers anymore. So when they made Bumblebee, it was almost a no-win situation because nobody cared about the Transformers anymore. They had developed a reputation of being these terrible, terrible, terrible movies. Along comes Bumblebee that kind of looks like it's the same thing, only it had Travis Knight directing it, and he crushed that movie. Bumblebee was fantastic. And I think, I'm trying to remember how much it made. Hold a second. Um, Bumblebee box office. I think it made close to $400 million. I think, oh, it was, over, it was close to $500 million. So listen, I was shocked. It made about $470 million at the box office. I was shocked that Bumblebee made that much money. Considering that the reputation, like you had to completely rebuild trust with the audience. And Bumblebee, to me, crushed it. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought that Bumblebee movie was a lot of fun. Not to mention the start. Like, I don't think they should do a Transformers movie where it's all on Cybertron. But I would like to see a little bit more of Cybertron. And the beginning of Bumblebee, that whole opening sequence that takes place on Cybertron, I was I was freaking pissing myself I was having so much fun. Like, and when Soundwave shows up, like the classic Soundwave... Ravage, eject, laser beak, and I'm like, ah! like I'm like all my little memories from when I was younger flooding back, and I was just like freaking the hell out, just freaking the hell out about it. Uh, I I absolutely loved, uh, you know, uh, God, I love Bumblebee. Bumblebee was great. By the way, Douglas Armstrong sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Douglas. Appreciate that, man. Um, so yeah, I I totally dug it, and I just yes, but again. The problem with the Transformers movies is it's a real simple one. They made bad movies. 
wasn't about not identifying the target demographic. It was just a flat out made terrible movies. And it's a wonder that Bumblebee, a really good movie, did as well as it did, considering the reputation of those Transformers movies had already gone into the toilet. So there's that. I just really hope we get another one of those. All right. I said that was the last one, but you know what? We'll do one more. Let's do one more. Uh, we'll take this from Ryan Lohner, who writes, if Todd Phillips's other sequels are any indication, Joker 2 is just going to be the exact same movie with just a bunch of more unfunny, edgy jokes about how non-straight people are weird and scary thrown in. Not really feeling this one. I mean, look, that's look, if Todd Phillips can make a great first one, he can make a great second one. Making a great movie is always hard, though. Now, yes. The Hangover Part 2 is one of the biggest letdowns from a great original, especially in the world of comedy. Because that first Hangover is like all-time classic. All-time, one of the all-time great comedies, The Hangover. Not so much The Hangover 2. But with all the attention that it gets and the people working with him, I, I think Todd Phillips could do a very... Look, look at the job he did with the first one. If he's capable of doing that, then he is capable of delivering a great second one. I still don't like the idea of doing a second one. I don't think they should make another one. That movie was conceived of as a one-shot movie, as a standalone movie. I think they should leave it alone as it is. Saying that, I do understand why they want to do another one, though. It won Academy Awards and it made over a billion dollars. Of course they want to make another one. I don't blame them. Honestly, I don't. I'm not being facetious. I don't blame them at all. I get it. I understand. I'm just saying that if I were in charge, I would say, listen, you made a masterpiece. Let's move on and let's do something else now. But again, that's just me. That's just me. Um, all right, guys, listen, uh, there are still more questions to come. We've got ones coming from Russell Amador, uh, Bojax, Shay, and uh, you have K Major and Matt D. Do not worry, though. When we get to the John Campia show tomorrow, we will start off our live questions part of the show with those. We only had about six or seven more to go, but we will pick up the show right there where we left off and you will see your questions answered on tomorrow's John Campia show. And that will do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for coming in. We had over 500 people on a non-announced out of nowhere live stream. We had over 500 of you guys jump in here to watch this live and participate in the live chat. So thank you for that, guys, in there. By the way, uh, C, uh, C doing work is saying Hangover 2 is awesome. Dude, all film is subjective. If you loved Hangover 2, awesome. I celebrate that. I wish I did. I wish I did, but I didn't. So it is what it is. Anyway, guys, make sure you come on back and join us for that. Special thank you to all of you guys who sent in these live comments and questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved at the John Campus Show, thank you guys so much for your support. Okay, guys, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends... Bye-bye.